Welcome. You truly on this day uh, deserve the Frozen Chosen Award. We'll be giving those out at the end of the deal there. We were actually thinking about doing what the NFL does and have those cutouts, you know, and like Murray over here and like Billy Graham and Spurgeon maybe over here and Oprah, maybe not Oprah maybe, but just having cutouts back there. But we're glad that you're here. We're impressed. Uh, you know, the word Linton actually means springtime. So God has a sense of humor today. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's springtime in West Texas. We're used to that. The rest of Texas is freaking out, but we're, we're kind of used to this. There's actually a meme, a picture uh, on Facebook, uh, which I'm not giving up. I'm sorry, I'm not giving it up. Um, on Facebook, and it shows the Oscar Mayer Mobile, and it's spun out into a snowdrift, and somebody put, this is no time to be out there hot-dogging around. So... <laughs> so. Uh, it's just that time. Uh, let's go and, and do what we came to do uh, and look at the Word of God. Let me, let me pray first for us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us like this snow, this eight inches that's covering the, the country. Lord, may your spirit fall upon us permanently, uh, something that doesn't melt away, that doesn't leave us. Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. He was in fourth grade, and his name was Joel. He loved uh, elementary school. He loved the milk break. Anybody remember milk breaks? Oh, that was a long time ago. Nobody, that's how old I am. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the boomers were like, yeah. So milk break used to be in elementary school. At 10 o'clock, they would march you in line down to the cafeteria. So Joel that morning was excited. It was the, the Friday before they got out for Christmas break and they all marched down to the cafeteria and they got their tray and they're going through line and the cafeteria lady just sweetly gave him his milk. Remember those big milk cartons? You'd punch that paper straw in there. And you'd sit down and you'd have that cold milk. Can't believe we thought that was the highlight of the day. Um, well, Joel's going through and the lady gives him one and kind of like how we were talking about, but the next lady, other capture lady, didn't realize it, gave him another one. He's got two fresh milks. He's fired up. But instead of saying, oh, you gave me one, you gave me too many, he had a coat on, kind of like Skip brought a deep winter coat, and he put that in his pocket. Yeah, and he went and sat down, and he had his milk, and he got in single line, and went back to his classroom. He thought, I'm going to drink that cold milk on the way home, walking home. Remember, we used to walk home, you want to know. So uh, he was excited. I'm going to drink that later. Nobody knows I have this milk. He took it. You remember those little desks with that little compartment? He slid it back in the corner of that desk. And he thought, I'm going to take that home. School was long and they closed the, for the holiday and they all went home. And two weeks later, they all got in line to come back into Mrs. Red's class. And my friend Joel had completely forgotten. And they walked in and everybody said, something stinks. Something really stinks. Joel had no idea. He'd forgotten completely. They all sat down. They brought in the custodian. And he just walked up and down every aisle. Stopped at Joel's desk. All of a sudden, Joel just panic-stricken remembered the milk in the desk. Do you have something in your desk, young man? No, no, sir. No, I don't. I've been here all the holiday. Do you have something? Clean it out. So slowly, he's just trying to move things out. His compass, his Elmer's glue, all that kind of stuff. He goes, everything, and he reaches back there, and he can feel it. And he brings out a moldy, curdled, smelly carton of milk. And he goes, it's not mine. And the teacher said, it is yours, and soon to the principal. And they had to come in and fumigate the whole class. So they called him Stinky Joel for the whole semester. It was a great thing. <laughs> Scripture says that something stinks. As we go into this high holiday of Easter, 
as we're reminded that Easter is the high point of our calendar, not Christmas, because without Easter, there is no Christmas. As we move into this high season, the psalmist reminds us, as we move into our study of the Psalms, these songs written by these wonderful Jewish writers, the psalmist reminds us in our life, something stinks, and it's us. Let's look at Psalm 32 and be reminded of what the psalmist, this is David writing about, about sin, about us. If you would look with Psalm, at Psalm 32 with me, hear the word of the Lord. A mascal of David, Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Ah, but here comes the turn. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And like a plague, now God comes in and speaks his parts. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. And David comes back in. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love of the Lord surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, thanks be to God. Our sins, our pungent odor that rise up to the nostrils of God. In uh, Isaiah 65, 5 says this. He's talking about uh, the, the, the Jews and all these religious rituals. And he says this, they're like a stench in my nostrils, like a fire that burns all day. Due to sin, unconfessed sin, something stinks in my life and in your life. It needs to be cleaned up for us to have this abundant Christian life that we're talking about. How do we do it? Just say a few things and, and repeat the same old prayer. How do we, as Howard said, how do we truly move into this season in a confessing manner? Well, he tells us. I don't like to-do lists and seven ways to the Holy Spirit and ten ways to, to jump up and down and, and do hallelujahs. I'm not real big on formulas, but it's so clear the pattern here that the psalmist gives us. First of all, the first thing is just to acknowledge sin. Our, we don't do this. To acknowledge sin. Psalm 3, look at the first, the, the three and five, three through five there. It just talks about when I kept silent, I stunk. My bones wasted away, my groaning. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. Ah, but here he comes. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. Call it what it is. Name it. When I keep silent, I stink. I, but I, if I hide it, if I deny it, if I blame someone else, if I soften it, I have to name it. A crazy demon comes running to Jesus. Who are you? Demons, and they say, legion. Who are you, legions? 
Name our sins. It's not just a flirtation. It might be a lust. It's not just a little looking at the internet. It might be a pornography. I'm not just partying. I might be an alcoholic. It's drunkenness. It might be an affair, but no, it's really adultery. It might be a funny joke. It's really racism. It might be a secret word between friends. It's actually gossip. It might be a grudge. It's actually bitterness and unforgiveness. I might be driven or I may just be narcissistic. I may want nice things or just be materialistic. I might care about how I look or just be vain. I may want uh, pretty things or I may just have greed. Uh, it just goes, we've got to call it what it is. Yeah, grace changes everything, but not until you're willing to be changed. Call sin, sin. David, Psalm 51 that we just read, the most famous acknowledgement of sin in history. David has this odiferous, adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Gets her husband killed, gets drunk, lies. He starts covering. He, boy, he is burying that sin deep in the castle. I'll just marry her and I'll stick her deep in the castle. And the odor starts to rise through the castle, through the kingdom, to the gates of, of God, to the kingdom of heaven. The stench is too much. And God sends Nathan to say, you stink. Something smells in the king's life. And he acknowledges it. He doesn't blame Bathsheba. He doesn't blame Uriah. He doesn't blame God. He says, I am the man. He acknowledges it. He calls it what it is. In fact, he so much takes the blame here. He writes a pop, he writes a song about it. Now, it's one thing. My son writes a lot of songs. And when he breaks up with a girl, he goes and writes a song about her. And it's always out there. Breakup songs. This is, a, this is a sin song that goes through the rest of Jewish history. It's sacred scripture. It's one of the top ten pop songs for the Jewish culture. We think we know it now. That's acknowledging your sin. I sinned against you. Lord, against you and you alone, I have done this. He calls sin, sin. He, he, he names it. That's what we need to do. Expose it in this great devotional called New Morning Mercies. Paul David Tripp says this. I think I have it. God's grace will expose what you want to hide. Not to shame you, but to forgive you and to deliver you. Your sin will find you out. Thank God. How many parents pray their kids get caught? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My kid hates that prayer, especially when he's in trouble. Um, so first of all, we've got to call sin, sin. Acknowledge it. Secondly, just saying that there's not enough. Confess it. Look at verse 5. To literally say... Uh, I will confess my transgressions. I have done this. It's not just some little problem. Lord, I've sinned against you and you alone, that thou art right when you judge me. We've got to confess it, like was read, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us, but he can't forgive unless we confess. Psalm 51 is completely about that. Lord, you are right when you judge me. I was born in sin. We believe this in our theology. We were... Born, we call it total depravity. It's not a wonderful word, but it's true about us. But because it brings the good news. I love this story. I probably told you before. St. Augustine or Augustine, whatever you want to call him, the great writer, the great priest. After he used to roam the streets of Paris, he lived with a prostitute. He had this immoral life. And then he came back later, years later, as a saved, converted Christian. And he's walking down that same avenue. And there's that prostitute that he lived with. And she grabs him. Augustine. Come home with me. Come back to me. Come and renew our relationship. Let's be together. And he goes, no, I can't. And she goes, but it's I. He says, yeah, but it's not I. It's no longer I. I'm a new man in Christ. And he walked away. That, that's, that's, that's confession. That's, that's repentant, actually, which is the next word. So we talked about acknowledging, confessing, and then repenting. 
Oh, by the way, on confession, I'm sorry, I don't want to miss this point. Confession to God is good. But when it's just me and God, I can get away with that. Oops, sorry, didn't follow through. James says, confess to one another. Confess to that person that you trust and that you can be accountable to. They will hold you to the fire. I can say I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to quit being this way with my wife. But if I tell Murray, if I tell Howard, if I tell my good friends, they're going to keep asking me about it. Who's your Murray? Who's your Peter, James, and John? Who do you trust that won't judge you, that won't gossip, that won't hold it over your head to say, I need help with this. I'm having trouble with this internet thing. I'm having trouble with this drinking thing. I'm having trouble with this forgiveness thing. Confess to one another on an appropriate level to the appropriate person. Thank you. Now we'll move on to repentance. Repent from it. So not only acknowledging and confessing, repent means we've got to change our lives. It's not just enough to throw words up there. What's going to happen? And look at what happens. Shuba, the word in Hebrew, repent means you're literally walking one way. And you don't just disagree with the way you're walking. You turn and you walk the other way. You walk away from sin, like St. Augustine. Romans 8.11, they bring this poor woman. She's been caught having sex. It was a setup by the Pharisees. They say we're going to kill her because the Bible says. And Jesus says, hey, go away. Go ahead. Throw away if you're sinless. They all walk away. He looks at her. And he says two things. Did no one condemn you? No one, sir. You're forgiven. But then what does he say? Stop doing it. Change your life. Quit letting men use you. Go and sin no more. You're loved more than that. Love yourself. Stop doing it. That's what repentance means. Otherwise, it's just wasted words. I can only tell my wife so many times, I'm sorry, that my socks are in the hall and, until she throws them away. <laughs> so, no. When I stop doing it, that's, it's just, that's what it means to repent. So acknowledge, confess, repent, and here it comes. Release it. Let it go. This is not a Disney song. This is a lifestyle. Let it go. Release it. Hebrews 12.1, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of faith. He says, laying aside every encumbrance, every sin that so easily entangles us. Let it go. Get rid of it. That's what it means to really go through confession, to release it. When I was in Houston, I read this story one day in the Houston Chronicle. It broke my heart. still does. An eight-year-old boy living in Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles, he got a bike for Christmas. Brand new speedster bike, beautiful bike, handlebars, the whole banana seat, the whole deal. And his mom said, you can go out and ride, but don't ride in the L.A. River. You know what the L.A. River is? Grease movie, every cop movie. It's not a river, it's a cement culvert that comes from the mountains with flash flood and goes to the ocean. It's this huge, it's about the size of this sanctuary. And kids love to ride their bicycles in there. Kids love to hot rod in there, to, to race up and down that. The mom says, don't ride your bike in the L.A. River. Well, he does. Goes to the L.A. River and by himself. He's riding up and down. Sure enough, there's a flash flood up in the mountains. And before he knows it, this flash flood has come down in the other and picks him up and carries him off. He's holding on to his bicycle. There's a pile of debris built up, an island built up in the middle of it. And he, he snags on that and grabs a tree, hanging on to his bike. People on the freeway start, they call 911, the police come, they're throwing, they're trying to throw him ropes, they're throwing him buoys. He's holding on to his bike, let go of the bike, grab the bird, let go of the bike, they can't reach him. They keep throwing, let go of the bike, finally, the fire department comes, true story, they get that cherry pick, they get the crane over, and they're trying to lower it down, but the guy can't reach him. He lowers a basket, and he's looking up, and the fireman's like, let go of the bike, let go of the bike, grab a hold, of the no, it's my bike, I won't let go. And in, in horror, is everyone from the, you saw it on TV, everyone from the river, the, the, fire, the, the fireman's watching, a higher wave comes along and washes him away. And they find him two days later, down the river, dead, still hanging on his bicycle. 
Sin will kill us if we don't let it go. Surely in a rush of waters, they shall not reach him. Do it before it's too late. Our sins are deadly. They're not just little quirks and habits. They can take our life. Let go. But here's something else we get to release. When we confess, when we, conf- when we confess, when we acknowledge, when we repent, guess what else we get to let go of? The guilt, the memory, the regret, the shame. We're the only people in the universe that can go to bed not guilty. Go to bed free and forgiven. Only believers in Christ can do that. Because of why? Because on the cross, that Good Friday that we're heading towards, Jesus took all of our stench, all of the odor, all of the filth, as Isaiah said, so we could be crisp and fresh and clean once and for all. One time coming on Jesus and every day we can be clean again because of the cross. Jesus was exposed on the cross so we could be covered. Jesus was stripped naked so we could be clothed. I wish those were my words. That's Tim Keller. I gotta tell you, it's a great quote. What does Paul say? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let it go. Let the, let the shame, let the past, let the scars, let the stuff from years and years that's built up, hidden in the recesses of your heart, let him heal it, let it go. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been washed in the blood. By his stripes, we're healed. The stench is gone. Breathe in the freshness. I love this today. As though our sins be as right as blood, he will make them what? <laughs> as white as snow. My backyard looks great right now. My driveway looks perfect because it's covered up. <laughs> it's got snow on it. I love that. Again, my mentor Keller says this. You're more wicked than you ever dared believe. Ooh, we don't like that. Here comes the grace. And yet you're more loved than accepted in Jesus Christ than you dared to hope for. There's the balance. We're more wicked than we ever dared believe. And yet we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Acknowledge, confess, repent, release. Here's the last one. Relent, relent, let, give up trying to be good, give up trying to be religious, give up trying to clean yourself, trying to be a good American, be a good Christian, be a good West Texas citizen. That can't make us better. We're broken and we cannot fix ourselves. It doesn't work. We love this little booklet. I've met this guy before. I think Murray actually knows this guy. Murray knows everybody like this. My Heart Cries Home, Robert Munger. He's no longer with us. He was in Palo Alto, I think, First Pres, was in a church in California. He wrote this little booklet. It's a great book for anyone, for kids, but it talks about, based on that scripture, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice, I will come in and dine with him and him with me. And the idea that our heart, of course, is like a home. When we accept Jesus Christ, he enters into the hallway. That's our salvation. That's becoming a Christian. That's being forgiven permanently by the blood of Christ. But then he says, there's rooms in our house We have to slowly, to make Jesus not just our Savior, but Lord, we've got to give him the library, the mind. So he goes in and cleans up the library. Then he goes into the the dining room. We've got to give him our appetites and our desires in the kitchen where the food is. Then we go into the rec room where our our, our recreation, where our leisure is, and give him that. And they go into the study and have this quiet time. And they go into the bedroom where there's the romance and the sex life. And then goes into the workshop, what you're doing with your life. And he lets Jesus go into every room but one place. And everything's going on. The, the, the owner of the house thinks it's fine. But he comes home one day, and Jesus meets him at the front door. Something stinks in this house. And the man knows exactly what he's talking about. I, what do you mean? It's in there. Follow me. Something stinks. And he walks into a hall closet, and it's locked. 
He says, it's in there. Something dead is in there. And the man's angry. The owner of the house says, really, Lord? I have let you into my life. I have given you my work. I have given you my love life. I have given you my money. I have given you my desires. I have given you everything. This is mine. This, can I just have one little spot in my home for me? Jesus says, sure you can. But I can't live here. I'll stay, but I can't live in this house with that smell. I'm a holy Lord. He goes and heartbreakingly gets his pillow and his blanket and he walks out and he goes, I'll be sleeping on the patio outside. The guy's still angry. Fine. He goes and lays down but can't sleep. As he thinks about it, his Lord Jesus, his guest of all guests, is sleeping outside. He wakes up and says, okay, Lord, here, I can't do it. Here's the key. Jesus says, I can do it. And they go to that hall closet, and Jesus unlocks it and opens up, and it is worse than you imagine. It is, it, it is overwhelming. The stench is so bad. It's worse than the guy thought. It always is. It always is. And Jesus said, I died for this. He starts taking it, taking it on himself, taking all that filth, all that hidden sin, all that besetting sin, all that sin of original family, all of that stuff that Satan accuses of, all the demons and puts it on himself. And it's gone. And then he washes it and then he paints it clean and he starts putting beautiful things in there. Joy, <laughs> forgiveness, freedom, power, love. And Jesus says, now the house is clean. What's in that hall closet, folks? What needs to be taken care of? We're broken. We need to be fixed. I love that D.L. Moody, and we can't fix ourselves. Someone was talking to D.L. Moody, the great preacher, and they said, sir, you, you sin sometimes. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? He said, yeah, but sometimes I leak. <laughs> sometimes I leak. That's what Jesus does. He fixes the leak. Romans 7, 24, 25, Paul is saying this wretched man, that I, the things I don't want to do, I do, and when I do, I don't want to do. Wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? It's like I have a dead body attached to me and I can't get it off. Who will save me from that? And what's the answer? The good news is thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. We've been freed. So wrap it up. Guess what happens when we acknowledge, confess, repent, relent, release? The stench starts, goes away. We are saved again each time we confess because we're already saved in Christ. If you're in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, you are saved, but... And we're sealed. But we reconnect every time that sin has disconnected us with that forgiveness, that refreshment to rewash every day. And then look at the promises. We don't have time, but just from as you look at what are the blessings when we deal with unconfessed sin daily, look at all the promises. Verse 1, our transgressions are forgiven. Our sin is covered. Verse 2, the Lord does not count our iniquity. Verse 5, he forgives the iniquity of our sins. Now, that sounds redundant. Isn't sin iniquity? He forgets the, sinfulness, the sinfulness of our sin, the iniquity of our sin. He is our hiding place. Where are you hiding? We don't have to hide our sin. He becomes our hiding place. What are we hiding behind? He preserves me from trouble. He surrounds me with shouts of deliverance. You ever been in a t-ball game with parents screaming because their kid hit a ball and ran towards third base or something? Shouts of deliverance. My son, my kid did it. That's what God does every day when we, when we ask for forgiveness, when we come to him. Shouts of deliverance. deliverance. And guess what he does? He instructs us. He teaches us. He counsels with his eye on us. What's the will of God? Guess what? When sin is dealt with, the will of God is clear. The instructions are easy to come by. He surrounds me, verse 10, with steadfast love. Isn't that wonderful? He gives me gladness. He makes me rejoice. He makes me righteous. He makes me upright in heart. That's the fragrant love of God. 
My wife started using these things about two years ago. Anybody know what this is? Servant boosters. Scent beads. And all of a sudden, I'm walking around going, yeah, I'm smelling good. My socks smell good. I, 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 love, I mean, like the commercial, we just stand in the laundry room and go, oh, is it, I'm not sure if that's addiction or not, if there's a sin there or not, but this stuff makes your clothes smell good. I put it in my sink. I put it in my toilet. I put it in my shoes. I put it in my pockets. My wife's like, you're getting carried away here. <laughs> this stuff makes things smell good because it's a fragrant aroma. That's what happens when we start following Jesus. Paul says that we're a fragrant aroma. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. I think we have it to wrap up. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Man, that smells good, doesn't it? Breathe it in. Oh, that's good. That's us. We don't stink because Jesus Christ took that on. Offer that up to the nostrils of the Lord. Come clean. Just in can and close, and I promise this time. We talk about a lot of people, you know, we're not Catholic or, or, or some of the high church rituals, and we, we, we bless and love our brothers and sisters that do that. They give something up. They give up chocolate. They give up Facebook. They give up Tiger King. What do they give up? Something. Um, I give up lima beans and liver every year, and I've never failed. It's great. I've given that up. That's okay to give up something specific and concrete, but guess what? We should really give up unconfessed sin, trying to save and clean ourselves. Give that up for Lent. Lots of things have been canceled this year by COVID, lots of things by our cancel culture. Guess what will never be canceled? <laughs> the resurrection, the celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter will never be canceled. Guess what the greatest cancellation could be in our lives? Canceling deadly, immobilizing, paralyzing sin. Let him cancel it today. The stench of death is gone. It's blown away by the fragrance of Jesus Christ who has anointed us with the precious oil of his spirit. Breathe it in. Let's pray. O sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns thy only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine. Yet though despised and gory, I joy to call thee mine. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior, tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor, vouchsafe me to thy grace. Lord, what language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. Oh, make me thine forever, should I fainting be. Lord, let me never, ever outlive my love for thee. May it be true in our lives, Lord. In the name, in the precious name of Christ who makes us clean, we pray.